Hey, Inside Mix podcast fans, I'm Shots from Italy, and today my song, The World of Life, is out on all stream platforms. You're now listening to the Inside Mix podcast, and he's your host, Mark Matthews, so stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the Inside the Mix podcast. I'm Mark Matthews, your host, musician, producer, and mix and mastering engineer. You've come to the right place if you want to know more about your favorite synth music artists, music engineering and production, songwriting, and the music industry. I've been writing, producing, mixing and mastering music for over 15 years and I want to share what I've learned with you. Hello folks and welcome back to the Inside the Mix podcast. This is the first interview episode post-summer break so I'm very excited with this one in particular and I'm joined by Serik Solobodskoy who is also known as Hyperbits. Uh, a producer who's worked with some industry giants, which I'll name in the episode itself. And also Hyperbits is a music production educational organization as well and has helped many artists. So we've got 55 plus million streams as an artist, over 100,000 plus monthly listeners on Spotify and more figures in that sort of vein. And we're going to discuss things to do with music production. So we're looking at formal music education. Is it necessary for being a successful producer? How important is it to have a unique sound or style in today's music industry? How do you measure the success of a music release? Is it about the numbers or is it about the audience's reaction and engagement? And I also delve in and ask Sarek the question, is there a piece of advice you received in your career that has stuck with you? And he gives actually gives three amazing pieces of advice that you're going to want to know, folks. So that's enough of me wittering on. Let's dive into this episode. Hey, folks, and welcome back to the Inside the Mix podcast. If you are a new listener or viewer, if you're on YouTube, a big welcome. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and also that notification bell so you get notified whenever there's a new episode and also when I go live as well, which does happen. And if you're a returning listener, as always, a big welcome back. Now, this episode, I have, or I'm very excited rather, uh, to welcome our guest today, Serik Slobodsky. Uh, I think I we, we had a discussion off air about pronouncing that correctly, and I think I uh, pretty much just butchered that. But that <laughs> did I get good. it right? That was good. Well done. <laughs> okay, I'll roll with that. Um, so a bit about uh, Slerik here, so also known as Hyperbits, and we're going to dive into that a bit later on. But inspired by San Diego, made in New York City, Hyperbits is a feels connoisseur. I love that. Whether he's producing for industry giants like Beyonce, Nick Jonas, and Tuvalo, or getting supported by the world's biggest artists like Above and Beyond, The Chainsmokers, and Griffin, his infectious, sunset-drenched, melodic house has been streamed 55-plus million times. Amazing stuff. Hi, Serik, a.k.a. Hyperbits. How are you? And thank you for joining me today. I'm doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, uh, I think I've mentioned to you already, but a little, little tired because it's a Sunday morning for me over here. But I am, I'm ready to get into all things music production and pumped to be here, man. Ace, man. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. I know we started chatting a number of months ago when we booked this, and, uh, but it's, it has soon come around. And this is the first interview post my summer break. So um, hopefully we can dust the cobwebs. I know, I know you said off air, it's been a while since you've done an interview yourself. So uh, we're both in the same boat, but it's, it's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to this one. And I think the audience are going to get a lot out of it as well. So it's going to be fantastic. So I think it'd be good if we just like just dive in to uh, what I read in your bio. So I'm just going to read this question I've got here. So your bio cites that your biggest uh, accomplishment, put my teeth back in, is founding one of the most popular and well-regarded music production schools. It's amazing. Um, I'll put a link to the website. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit here in the episode description, but the audience do go check this out. Um, Obviously, listen to the episode first. So music production schools in the world, teaching thousands of students the art of music production in the process. So I think a really nice question here is what is your memory of your journey and maybe uh, like one or a couple of the biggest struggles along the way? Yeah, absolutely. So first thing I'll say is that I had literally all of the struggles. Um, you know, I, I never like the, the main caveat here is that I never had some sort of like an official five year business plan or something like creating a music production school was very much a result of just you know, doing my thing. And it just kind of like formed into something very, honestly, very naturally. Like back when I was an artist, I was living uh, in New York City and I got hooked up with like 
some of the the A and R's that worked at like Universal and and Sony. So I got a lot of remix opportunities, and I I saw like you know a, a decent amount of of success on the artist side of things. And while I was doing that, I literally read like in some book by uh, Ramit Sadie, I believe he's like a personal finance guy, and he said something along the lines of like like something like you should always be be collecting an email list and you can always figure out how to monetize it later. And I honestly didn't even know what that actually meant, but I was like, okay, it seems like it's important down the road for some reason to collect email addresses. So I just started giving away sample packs and freebies and things like that. Uh, some of them went a little viral on Reddit. Um, and, and yeah, like over maybe a few years or so, I realized that I had about 11, 12,000 email addresses uh, and I wasn't really using them. I was just like, maybe I'd shoot an email out every like three to four months or something. And um, yeah, like while I was doing all of that, I had been giving one-on-one lessons to basically pay the bills, right? I lived in Brooklyn. I lived in New York City. It's expensive rent, right? And um, yeah, I was just kind of like, all right, like I got to gotta supplement the bills a little bit with, because I was doing a lot of like engineering work, a little bit of touring, a little bit of production work, but one-on-one lessons were the most consistent, just like, thing that I could rely on. And, you know, you get to a point where you're like, damn, my entire life now is all of a sudden teaching uh, one-on-one. And I was kind of like, you know what, let me just see what happens if I send out an email to this list and say that I'm putting together uh, a class, right? Just some sort of a course. And I was like, I'm going to charge a thousand dollars for it. It's going to be a four week course. I hadn't even actually built it yet. It was just an outline of what I wanted to cover. It's mostly the stuff that I had, uh, you know, kind of, figured out in my career and uh, been repeating over and over in these one-on-one sessions. And so I sent one email and like, boom, 12, 13 people signed up off of that first email. And I was like, holy shit, like how many one-on-one lessons would I needed to have given uh, to have made that much, right? And so right away, I kind of knew that I had something special. uh, And I knew that I had uh, kind of like a I guess like a without sounding braggy, I had a, a good skill set there, both in music production and in communication. I felt like I could really communicate those ideas well. And, you know, the second time that I ran it, 15 people signed up. Then I ran it a third time and something like 50 plus people signed up after I had raised prices. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the thing that I'm I'm really doubling down on and pursuing and eventually hired a team and got a lot of help and developers and all sorts of things. And yeah, like I, you know, I'm I'm definitely passionate about entrepreneurship, but I was very much an artist first, just trying to like put the pieces together and and figure out fun, creative ways to make a living. And so I feel really honestly uh, super lucky and super blessed to have kind of stumbled upon something that, you know, lights me up that I'm passionate about uh, and, you know, has kind of gone on to, to really be like a, a pretty big online school in the electronic music production world. There's, um, you know, there's not that many other schools that are doing kind of exactly what we're doing. So I'm really, again, just sort of, uh, feeling, feeling, feeling a lot of the, a lot of the gratitude for, uh, for what we've created and, and gratitude for, for my team, for, for helping and doing all the things that we've kind of done over the past, like six, seven years. We'll be right back. So I've got a hunch about a common struggle we all face, mastery. If you're an independent artist or music producer, you've probably encountered the frustration of masters that just don't hit the mark, right? They lack balance and refuse to play nicely across different devices and environments. Ever found yourself wondering, why don't my masters sound like my references? Perhaps you've spent countless hours attempting to master your tracks only to be unsatisfied with the results. Maybe you've tried every Silver Bullet plugin or even dabbled in AI. Or perhaps you're already working with an engineer, but you're eager to explore different possibilities. Well, here's the solution you've been searching for, Synth Music Mastering. I'm offering a game-changing opportunity with a one-time free test master for a limited time. Picture elevating your music with my unwavering commitment to quality and a personalized touch that you just don't get with the big mastering studios. The best part, it won't cost you a penny. Just submit your finished mix and let's see how we can transform your music together. Don't let mastering be a mystery any longer. Say goodbye to the frustration and step into a world of sonic excellence. Grab your free test master now, click the link in the episode description, or head over to synthmusicmastering.com. 
That's amazing. I really love the port, the, the the part there where you, you you've sort of fallen into it, haven't you? You didn't have that business plan. You kind of like, as you say, you're doing all these different things in the music industry. You're doing these this this live sound, and you're a musician, you're an artist as well, and you you're sort of teaching to 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 pay the bills as such. And then you've sort of fallen into this this world of of teaching and having this online school and. The email list, what you mentioned there. Now, we once again, we had a discussion off air about sort of entrepreneurship and, and um, various people, Tim Ferriss, for example. And the I think I've, I've come to realize that in conversations like uh, the, the importance of an email list is often overlooked by some people and artists and musicians as well. Everyone seems to, albeit social media is huge. Obviously, you've got that reach and that audience, but actually having an email list that you know cannot be well, I suppose it could be taken away from you, but like you're not at the mercy of TikTok, Instagram, which could just shut down your account at any point. Um, you've got that, ma- that that mailing list. Would you say then, this is a slight tangent here, that having a mailing list is is just as important for like an artist or a producer and a musician as having social media? You know, it's a bit different to like actually running a business like you're you're doing here, but would you say it's just as important? Yeah, you know, it's uh it, it it depends on what your goals are as a uh you know, business owner or music producer or artist, right? There are each each one of these mediums holds very different purposes in my mind. And I think something like, you know, social media is really really good for engagement and social proof, um kind of building a community, things like that, but an email list is a really amazing tool to basically uh, have an army of people kind of backing you in a community that's very like like conversational and direct. So like when I, the first time I got support from Above and Beyond, for example, they played one of my tracks on uh, group therapy radio. And then they have this thing where like you basically vote on your favorite track uh, from the podcast. And I was able to send an email to my list at the time of, I don't know, 10, 12,000 music producers and be like, Hey guys, I'm going to give away like, uh, you know, a free collection of kick drums that I made. And, um, all I want you to do is, is just go vote for my track. And so they ended up playing it, uh, I think three times on the podcast because I had that like community of producers to support it. And then they started playing it on tour and it got, you know, there's like a, this cool video of them playing it in like Buenos Aires in front of like, you know, 30,000 people or something. And I feel like that, that type of engagement and um, sort of like social support that it got played a big role in them liking it and supporting it. So, yeah, I mean, to kind of get back to your question though, like social media, that is, that is sort of the, the Holy grail this day and age, I think for, um, for success. And, and it, I think it also boils down to, to what it is that you love, because for me, like sitting down and writing an email, like long form where I can get my thoughts out, that's just a medium that I enjoy, uh, creating, right. I enjoy kind of that long form typing things out, long blog posts, right. Like long emails, things like that, uh, where I can convey a story. I don't love creating social content. It's just not the thing that like lights me up. If I do it once in a while, I can get into it for for short bursts. But if my life every day was just creating content, it's just not the life that I want to live. And I think at the end of the day, success really is or boils down to just doing something that you're excited about. So I think that social media is important. And it's something that pretty much any artist or business owner at least needs to engage in. But it doesn't need to be the thing that drives your business because things like email and, you know, there's, there's tons of different mediums, right? They can all... Uh, I mean, they can be way more if, I mean, they could be a lot more impactful uh, on your business specifically because, you know, and, and like you, like you mentioned, they, you own your email address, right. Or you own your email list rather. Whereas like social media, like I grew up, you know, a big Facebook following and like then Facebook's algorithm changed and like nobody cared about Facebook anymore. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even communicate to those followers without paying for it. And then the same thing sort of happened with SoundCloud. I like built this big SoundCloud following and then everybody moved away to Spotify. And so you're kind of like following these, um, you know, the, 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 like the stick or the carrot, I don't know what the expression is, but you're basically chasing something, uh, over and over. Whereas the email address or the, sorry, the email list just keeps kind of staying there, right? It's, it's something that isn't, going to get taken away from me and anybody can unsubscribe if they want to at any time, of course, but it's something that I can just rely on as a, you know, a source for, for communication and, and for, uh, for, for business. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And you, you're right in that, like, yeah, I think each sort of platform has its own purpose. And you, like you say, you do need to have that social media presence, you know, and it's it's how you use it. But I really, I'm, I'm with you with the idea of like leveraging the power of a, of a mailing list. I think it's an ex- incredibly powerful thing to do. And I really like what you said there about success is being, it, it comes with excitement about being excited and, and doing something. So it kind of, segues ish nicely onto like the next question which is about sort of music education i've asked this a few times on the podcast when i've had audio engineers on and producers like yourself so um with regards to that success and excitement and being excited about doing something do you think a formal education in sort of music production or songwriting is necessary for being a successful music producer or is it a case of just being passionate being excited uh, excited about it and just just getting out there and doing it. Hmm. It's a, it's a really interesting question because technically speaking, right? Like nothing is inherently necessary, right? It's, it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, like coding boot camps exist, but they aren't necessary for a developer, right? To learn a coding language. There's plenty of successful coders out there who never took a boot camp or never took a course. Could it have, you know, uh, maybe, fast-tracked their progress or provided some sort of a foundation for them? Like very possibly. I mean, at the end of the day, somebody like Tiger Woods, who is one of the best golfers ever, if you know, if not the best, he still has a swing coach, right? So having some sort of education or some sort of like person in your corner or, you know, like it, it can help, but it's not, it's definitely not necessary. And what I find interesting is that there is this kind of almost like, I don't know what the word is. Like, I feel like very much on YouTube and Reddit, there is this like community of people that very are very turned off by education. It's almost like a, a stamp of honor or something or a badge of honor to, to say like, Oh, I'm self-taught. And to me that, that is basically a little bit of like a, some, it's like an ego piece where for me personally, uh, once I put aside my ego and trying to be self-taught when I was coming up in music production, I actually did sign up for a music production school. That school is now uh, no longer like a thing. Uh, it was Dubspot in New York City, you know, and I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on this course and um, it saved my kind of like, I think, career in music production because it gave me this like framework to initially just like, know, okay, here's exactly how to anchor my kick drum at the right DB to get the right sounds, right? To get the right gain structure, to learn how to create a professional sounding track and how to use references to basically get my sound to be as good as theirs. At least like I could play my song and I could play my favorite artist song and it wouldn't sound any different. That was priceless. And then once I had that skill set, so many people came to me to, you know, learn one-on-one to have to engineer tracks for them. Uh, it even led to like my connections, um, with, uh, some of the major labels, right? Like once they started talking to me and I met up with them and had like a drink with them and they'd be like, Oh, like we have this other artist that, uh, like listen to this song, like what would you do differently? And I had the framework and like the understanding now of how to attack it. And I can actually communicate it confidently. And they were, you know, they were like, Oh shit, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. And that really opened the door for me. So sure. Like, you know, formal education, it's definitely not necessary, but if it's something you're passionate about and it's something that you want to pursue, um, you know, in your life and I'm a firm believer that life is short. Uh, and you know, it's, it's really important to me because I've had a soul sucking job and I've, I've had those careers where, you know, I didn't really want to wake up in the morning and there's nothing more kind of sad or depressing to me than to like not be passionate. And I just feel like if you, if you love something, why wouldn't you be open to to education and, and developing that love for learning? Because like at the end of the day, that's what music production kind of is. It's this endless opportunity to find ways to grow and to to change your sound. And like even now, right? I've been doing this for, I don't know, 12, 13 years or something. I, I still every single time I work with somebody, I'm I'm amazed at how much I'm learning, you know? And I and and I I think that that's such a like positive attitude to maintain because it, it keeps you kind of from becoming like that jaded, bitter dude who's just been doing something forever and is just like stuck in their ways, right? Like nobody wants to be that. I want to maintain that childlike 
uh, wonder and awe about the things that I love. And I feel like education is, is a big piece of that. So again, it's not required, but, uh, those are the types of people that I, I catch myself like surrounding myself with, you know, somebody who loves, loves education and loves learning. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I've, I've followed a similar pathway to, to what you mentioned there about how you, you kind of almost like expedite the process, expedite, or that might be the wrong word. You uh, No, I think that's right. It's not, I think it might be expedite. I think it might be right. I'm trying to be fancy here. <laughs> um, but yeah, because uh, I did something similar because uh, I'm a guitarist and I was self-taught for a while. And it's kind of like you say, it's almost like... Uh, some individuals might think like you've got to you've got to be in the trenches you've got to earn your stripes like learning yourself and do it yourself um but like if somebody it's kind of like uh when you think of studios as well like the, the, the studio intern and the studio runner jobs it's like people do that so they can learn like you've done there you mentioned about the kick drum and like knowing how to correctly process and, and gain stage of kick drum it's like rather than sort of struggle around and muddle around to trying to do it if there's someone else out there who can coach you to do it the right way and quicker for you to learn it then why not do it and i did that with guitar playing guitar i went into a studio realized my guitar technique was shit and and it just in it and then i had to go and have lessons and it made me realize actually having had lessons now i've advanced so much quicker and i wish i'd done it sooner and then i went and also i went and got a master's degree in music engineering and production as well which kind of set the foundation for everything i know now um the only thing i would say off the back of that is i think Having a this could be another question actually to add to this about a portfolio of work. So if you are a, like a, a producer and you want to start working on other people's music, I'm I kind of always say to people, it's great to have that education, that ac- academic background. But I think having an actual portfolio of work that you're developing at the same time is can be just as important. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think like neither one uh, with like without both. Um, it's hard, like confidence can only get you so far, right? You, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. you have to have some sort of work that you've created, uh, that can kind of hold its weight and, and communicate that confidence that you have. And, and, you know, when I go back to thinking about when I was living in New York, um, and I got connected with those guys, uh, from some of the major labels, like a lot of it stemmed from, you know, a few remixes that I had done, uh, and, and they heard it played like at a festival that is that they were literally like, who made this remix? I want to talk to this guy. And like, that was enough to, uh, you know, open up that conversation. So I feel like, yeah, like the education piece is, this is kind of like the, uh, I'm, I'm a big Reddit guy. I'm going to keep referencing Reddit here, but like, <laughs> you know, there's, there are people like in entrepreneurship, right. Who, who have been thinking about doing an idea for years and years and years. Right. And like, they'll, they'll have these posts and they're asking for validation. Right. And they're like, okay, I've been thinking about doing this for five years. Here's my plan. Here's the things that I want to do. It's like, if all you ever do is study entrepreneurship and don't just take action, then, you know, you, you are really shooting yourself in the foot because the only way to apply that stuff that you're learning is to actually go use it in the real world. So, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of people this day and age, um, kind of shit on the idea of, of like doing work for free, you know, but I think when you're just starting out and just learning a skill, like there's nothing wrong with going out there and being like to a band that you like and being like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm an upcoming music producer who wants to get their foot in the door or engineer. And I want to work on your stuff. You don't even have to pay me. I just want to be able to use this as uh, you know, an example of work in the future. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. I did that initially. I, I know a lot of people that have done that. Um, it's very, it's akin to like an internship, right? It's like, yeah, you sometimes work for free at the expense of like lack of monetary compensation so that you can then showcase that work or experience elsewhere. And I think there's absolutely nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. And I think, um, I think it's actually like a really good idea to kind of get your foot in the, in the industry, in the door and just have something to, to showcase. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. And I, I totally agree. I think having a portfolio and it, it is, is really important. And it's something I wish I'd had done more of when I was studying. Cause I was probably like what you said there. I think it was like paralysis by analysis in that mm-hmm. I was trying to read everything and trying to understand everything. I need to know everything about um, sound synthesis and sampling. Whereas I probably could have dedicated more time to actually just thinking, you know what, I'm, I want to go record this band. This is back when I was doing recording and, or maybe I just want to produce, or want to mix this particular bit of music here. Um, so 
it's quite easy, like you say there, to get stuck in that trap of just, and it's much like with entrepreneurship as well, of like just trying to absorb so much information, but not actually taking any action. Um, and it, once again, this kind of segues on nicely to the next question. So you mentioned there about sort of possibly doing free work to develop this portfolio. So at the same time, so you're doing that, you do, you're in the trenches, you do, you're doing that sort of that, that work there to try and upskill up and, and, and find your place in, in whatever niche you're in. How important is it to have a unique sound or style in in sort of like today's modern sort of music industry? Yeah, that that's a good question because like similar to what we were just touching on, like something like a unique sound, I don't think is something that you sit down and intentionally like study and try to like create. It's actually a natural result of doing a lot of work you know, doing a huge volume of work. Like if you're an engineer, right? Like even, even as an engineer, maybe you have a specific sound or a style, right? Like certain producers are maybe known for like, oh, they're really tight uh, percussion, right? Or, or this like super compressed vocal sound or, or something, right? That like communicates the things that you love or the taste that, that works for you. Um, but you only determine those things by, by, doing this crazy amount of work, right? Like every single project you work on as a, as a producer, as a songwriter, artist, engineer, they're all just opportunities to like hone in what it is about music that gets you lit up and gets you excited. Um, so, you know, like, like for me that I guess one story that I could tell about sort of this kind of side of things, like Hyperbits is the uh, is is the name of the school that I run, but it's also the name of the artist project that I started. And I've I've always kind of been very uh, into like melodic house and progressive house and trance things like that. Um, and and that was kind of the sound that I that I was really into. And I'd been doing that for years. And as I was doing this, you know, I ended up working with another production partner, and we started a project called the Rooftop Boys. And it was really kind of like a, a, a a little bit of like a, you know, a, a meld between what it is that I was creating and the, some of the stuff that he was passionate about. But we started getting all these remixes done in the more like pop house space. And do you remember Hype Machine back in the day? It rings a bell. It's, it rings a bell. Basically, it was an algorithmic like collection of all the songs that were being uploaded to blogs kind of like on the internet. And then people on hype M would just, there'd be tons of users and they would literally heart the music that they liked. And it would basically create this like real time, uh, um, you know, like real time chart of what's happening in the world in music. And, you know, if you get up to the top of the charts on hype machine, it was linked right to your SoundCloud. So you can get like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of streams, sometimes millions of streams in a matter of days. Uh, by being at the top of the charts, and so when I started this um, this duo, this rooftop du this rooftop boys duo, we had a span of like something crazy, like six or seven consecutive remixes get to number one in the world on Hype Machine. And it's funny because like you know I didn't see any sort of success like that with Hyperbits, which I had been doing for for years. Whereas like Rooftop Boys just kind of like started, and it was just a it was just a result of of just making all this music and kind of honing in on something that was very like specific, but I didn't intentionally be like, Hey, I'm going to create pop music or something. I was just like, Oh, like I've been playing around with this bass bass sound that ended up being like the signature sound to, <clears throat> to the rooftop boys. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, yeah, I think like, you know, it, it, like I said, it wasn't an intentional thing. It was just something that naturally came out of doing a lot of work. And then whether or not it's successful isn't even up to me. It's just something that like the audience determines. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think like, uh, you know, people sit down to intentionally create these unique styles. I think there's something to be said about like, you know, really honing in on what it is that you want to create and being very intentional about it. But, you know, if you're forcing your way into the music, sometimes I feel like the audience can hear that and it doesn't come across as natural, you know, like it should be something that just like you innately want to create. Um, and if you had no rules, no, no boundaries, like what would you, what would you, uh, like what type of music would you, would you be creating? Like, it's very interesting to me, like once you put labels out of the mix or the potential to release out of it, 
what comes out of you naturally. And sometimes, yeah, maybe we go a little overboard or, or there's just too much like chaos or something, right? You sometimes have to rein in the stuff that you're creating, but I feel like every producer should go through a period where they're just having fun and just creating whatever it is they want um, and assess from there. Yeah, it kind of echoes almost what you said earlier about how you started Hyperbits in that you kind of just fall into it. There wasn't that sort of plan, much like you said with the Rooftop Boys is you start started doing this music and then you sort of just sort of fell into it. And I think that's the best way to do because I think with regards to influences, you kind of are the sum of your parts. And it's really interesting what you mentioned there about how if you kind of, I don't know if the, the phrase translates, but if you sh- try and shoehorn your way into a, a genre or niche and try, try and do something that's not inherently you, then the audience can hear that. And I have witnessed that myself in that I have sort of tried and dabbled in different genres. And when I've been creating that particular music, it's good to a standard, but when I listen back to it, I'm like, actually, it doesn't really represent what my musical tastes are and what I like to do. Um, and now I've sort of honed that in more given uh, over time. So I really like that idea. And I think it's quite easy maybe to get preoccupied with what the current popular sound is and think, actually, I need to move in that direction if I want to be successful. Whereas, like you mentioned there, I think it can sound a bit inauthentic if it's not inherently you i mean some people might be able to get away and do really well just being able to create any sort of music in any genre which hats off to them but yeah there, yeah yeah and there's also you know there there is something to be said about like borrowing trends or borrowing things that are working for other artists and like incorporating it into your sound like i think that that's something that everybody should should try like in electronic music uh i think as a result of like fred again and a bunch of other artists there's this like kind of stutter house uh craze that's been going on and yeah. like there's nothing wrong with kind of taking that element and throwing it into one of your songs and like seeing how it it changes your production or you know taking a taking a trend and just like giving it uh its moment in your music it should still sound like you if if you're able to incorporate it kind of correctly and just like have fun with it in a way that lights you up but yeah it's like you, I, I think at the end of the day you want to try to avoid um yeah, just just changing your entire sound every time that the new sound <laughs> comes about. Yeah, Fred against Wild Man. I watched some videos of him like triggering um, like beats, and I'm just like, I'm not even, I'm not even going to attempt it. It's, <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm a guitarist, man. I'm going to stick with yeah. that. And maybe yeah, that's dude. My, I should have more of a growth mindset. But I've just seen him doing it. He was with Zane Lowe, mm-hmm. and I was just like, that is insane what you are doing right now, man. Yeah, I, I actually yeah. saw him live uh, a, a, exactly about one year ago. That in San Diego, there's a festival called uh, called Crossed that um, uh, happens right around now. It's actually happening this this weekend, which I I don't have tickets yet, but I might go get one on like OfferUp or Craigslist or something right after this interview and go. But basically, I saw Fred again last year, and uh, dude, it was just like sometimes you know like the, there's this feeling of like there's one artist that's just doing something so original and so cool. And there's this collective energy in the crowd and you're catching them right at that, like kind of peak, right. Right. When they're just blowing up, but haven't like fully blown up yet. That was Fred again. And uh, man, like the way that he just takes like all these samples of, of like spoken word and, and just, it's some of the most emotional music. I mean, people are, are bawling their eyes out all around you and then you're partying the next song and you're surrounded by friends. Like it was one of those really special moments that uh, kind of made me think about the rewards of having such an original, unique sound and just how cool that is that he gets to share that with the world. And, um, and also just how lucky, you know, I am to, to be a part of the music world. Like I really do believe in like the power of music and how it can really help you through some of your darkest moments and and how much of a tool it is to like engage and connect with your friends. Like I remember just feeling very, uh, very lucky, you know, and very like in love with music during that show. Yeah. Amazing. It sounds like one of those, like I was there moments, isn't it? Like <laughs> when you watch a particular band and you're like, yeah, I was there just, just before I knew them just before yeah. they got to that particular stage. Totally. But I love what you said there about music and it's totally right. I know when I get together with my friends, but it's always a case of one of the first conversations is like, what is the soundtrack to tonight's barbecue <laughs> going to be? Like what vinyl are we going to stick on? Are we having a few beers before we go out? You know, it's uh, that's, that's why music is amazing. And totally. it's echo what you said there. Yeah. 
So on the um the, the sort of just arcing back a little bit there about like for the rooftop boys, for example. So my next question would be sort of how do you measure the success of a music release? Is it more about because th- this is quite important actually, before I ask the next part, because I'm part of a number of sort of chat groups and you see conversations a lot of the time centralize around metrics and um, people getting hung up on metrics and rather than the music itself, which is kind of interesting. Is it more important about the numbers of the audience's reaction? Is it more important, sorry, about the numbers or the audience's reaction and engagement? Yeah, I mean, there are so many different ways to measure uh, success. And and I think total streams is probably the most like vain metric of success, but it is a real thing, right? It, it is something that like, you know, if I hear a song, that I like, I'll go on Spotify and be like, how many streams does this have? I want to gauge it's like general popularity. Like, is this an unknown? Is this a, a someone who's blowing up? But I think if you kind of piggyback your idea of success to something as like straightforward as total numbers of streams, like it's a very empty way, I think, to to live life as an artist. And I think it's important to maybe have some sort of a goal, like a realistic goal to work towards and to, you know, have some sort of a marketing plan in place to try to achieve that. Because if you just hope for millions of streams, it, it's not necessarily going to happen unless you hit some like, you know, benchmarks before that, maybe set 10,000 as the first goal, 50,000 as the second, 100,000, you know, so on and so forth. Um, cause you'll learn about what it takes to get those types of streams and, and it, Spotify, it, Spotify's algorithm isn't going to like just deliver you millions and millions of streams off of your first release. It might start to do that if it catches on the bandwagon, right? That you're, people are favoriting your music, people are playlisting it. Uh, you know, sometimes it gets supported on radio shows and Spotify's like algorithmic streams start going up. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's. To me, it's more about like looking at the whole thing as like a, a holistic package and like, you know, something like are labels excited about this? Are fans messaging you? Is there um, good engagement on your social posts? Like what kind of live reaction does it have? Like, I think that all of these things like as a whole can can paint a much better picture of like, you know, what kind of metrics or what kind of numbers we're looking for. Cause, cause at the end of the day, like the thing that excites me most about music production is literally before any of the release stuff like that is cool. And it's really validating to hear your music played and to have people connect with it. Like, I'm not saying that that isn't, but to me, the coolest moment is like, you know, the happy accidents, right. When you're like, you're just like, Oh, what did I just do? Like that was a mistake and it was so cool. Right. Or, or just sitting, you know, in your own studio and listening to something and, and like being like, you know what, like, I am really proud of this. And, and this is something that I just created out of thin air or the best is collaboration, right? When you're, when you're with another producer and you just, you're like, you know what, you have a moment, almost like in basketball, you set like a flawless pick and roll with a stranger and you have this like moment where you're like your homies and you know each other you don't know each other but now you know each other with like with collaborators and music sometimes i'll look over at somebody i'll just be like how the fuck did you just do that man like that was so cool and you have this connection uh that's what i live for and honestly the the metrics and stuff outside of that it's it's important but it's it just doesn't it's not what lights me up and i i envision like a really empty life if all i cared about was total streams you know it just seems really sad honestly yeah yeah uh, i really like what you said there not uh, not the final part because that would be sad but the the, the <laughs> bit before about a bit before about the uh the, the sort of like the lead up to the release which which is great and i i find that myself i find the most enjoyable part is probably before i've actually released the music and there, there are two aspects i've come to realize that i really like and that's i'm working on an ep at the moment and the audience listening will know this because i've been referencing it like crazy on the on the podcast i use it in the tutorials and stuff and um it's when i like i've, I've got three songs in the bag and then i don't listen to them and i come back to them two or three weeks later and i listen to it and i'm like shit these are actually like quite i, I really like these these tunes and for me that's like it's, it, it might be a bit so like self-gratifying but i really like that and the other one for me is 
because I always I outsource the vocals. Uh, I don't sing, wish I could. Um, but when I have like an instrumental and then I have a vocalist put a vocal down on it and return it and then listening to it and have that song come to life, that's one of the most like that that part of the musical process for me is one of the best parts. It's like when I have a vocal put on a track and I'm like, yeah. It's because you're it, like, you're sort of able to finally listen to your music in, as a commercial listener, you know? Like when you're in the midst of creating everything and you're focused on like, you know, this little automation here, the, the, the bass relationship to the kick or whatever it is that you're working on, like you are listening as like a scientist. You're looking at it and being like, okay, I got to make sure that this is all working, that it sounds good, right? And you're too far in it. You're listening to it closer than any audience, like potential fan would ever listen to it, right? And then when you take that break a couple of weeks, sometimes, if you can take like even longer off, like that is the most rewarding listen because you're like, oh, like I'm not super like, you know, locked up on all the little decisions that I was making. I can just sort of like enjoy it. And even then, you're still remembering some things that you did and didn't do. So it's like, you'll never get that fully commercial listen from someone who just hears a song for the first time. But, uh, I'm with you, man. I love taking like good long breaks, um, and, and coming back to it with fresh ears. That's like one of my favorite, yeah. Favorite kind of points of the process with music. Yeah. It's, uh, I was having a conversation just before this with, uh, with another producer and I said exactly that about how I'm now as part of my workflow. I never used to do it. I never used to leave such time in between. It would be like, I'd finish the mix master and then it would release, but now I'm leaving that gap in between and it does make a difference. And it also, it's much like what you said there about how being the scientist and you can like, it goes back to what I said earlier about like paralysis, paralysis by analysis and like binge editing and I've forgotten about all those little tweaks, automation tweaks I wanted to do on the vocal or on the kick or on the snare or that reverb send. I wanted to actually automate that that there on that particular vocal phrase. I've forgotten all about that. And now I can listen to it as I would want to listen to it. And I think that's it's a, it's a fantastic bit of advice, I think, for the audience listening. And it's it's only something I really, really thought about today. And it kind of it's great that it's also echoed by two people that I've spoken to today, which is amazing. Um, so on the on the topic of, of advice, it sort of leads on to the, the final question here. Is there a piece of advice you received in your career that has stuck with you? And can you share it with our audience? Yeah, I've got I'm, I've got at least three that I like to kind of come back to and, nice. and, and share. Um, the first one is not something that anyone necessarily told me. It's something that I've noticed and witnessed amongst the people that I've worked with that I respect the most. And it's just that writer's block is a myth. It is not something that is even real, like, like professionals in this industry that, you know, have been in this a while, do not have the luxury to wait around for inspiration. And they actually just rely on a very like particular set of tools and strategies and workflows and things to, to overcome the problems that they face. And I think that, um, there's this sort of misconception that artists, you know, and this, this is a result probably of just like how we consumed music for years and years. Artists would like disappear for, for, you know, 12 months or 24 months or something and come out with an album and you just be like, holy, like, how did they just come out with this? Right. It's like, you thought that they would just like go find inspiration and come back. And it's like, no, like they actually woke up every single day and kept honing in on what it is that they want to want to create. And they did it day in and day out for years. Right. And, and what you're hearing is a result of that, like of showing up to do the work. And so, yeah, it's, it's like, if you kind of sit down and you're not inspired, like that's okay. Just get started anyway. Just, just, just go, go through it and like know that there's, there is a bunch of strategies that you can rely on to help get that inspiration. I mean, there's a lot of also just incredible tools out there this, this day and age to, to kind of like create ideas very fast. But, um, but even even just the music that you listen to and love, that is inspiration in and of in and of itself. And it's very hard for me to just like stop working, like literally press stop and go reference like an artist that I love. Like it's just it's hard piece of the workflow. But every time I do that, I'm like, oh, I got plenty of ideas now, you know. Um, so that's one. And then uh, the the second thing that I'll say is is that quantity actually creates quality. Again, I think that like there's this idea that, um, you know, you 
you can spend one, like an entire year on like one song or something and that'll make that song that much better and it's actually kind of quite the opposite like the like showing up and 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 creating a song every day or maybe a song every week or something gets you into like the rhythm of flexing that creative muscle and flex like solving the problems that keep coming up if you're weak on the sound design portion or the sound or the songwriting portion of of creation like you will start to have to address that by creating a volume of work and uh for any this isn't a video that i created but anybody that's that's listening to this i would google uh uh volume of work by era glass it's just a great like two minute little video about um, kind of the thing that every successful person knows, but never says. And it, and it's just all about how he's like, he's kind of like, I wish somebody would, would have told me this, but it's like, you're, there's going to be a gap between, you know, what you're, what you're hearing in your head and what your music actually sounds like for a little while. And the only way to close that gap to sound like your your favorite artist or sound sonically as professional is to do a shitload of work, to do a ton of work, and and over time you're you're gonna start to close that gap. But I, you know, I'm probably butchering it, so I would I would just watch that video. <laughs> and then the last thing that I'll say here um, is is something that uh, was a direct kind of a, a interaction that I've had. So the producer of passion pit actually happened to be uh, a friend of a coworker of mine back when I had a, a corporate job in New York city. And he took a little bit of time to just like review some of my music, give me some feedback, which was like, at the time I was like, Holy shit. Like the producer of one of my favorite bands, this is like 2010 or something, right. When passion pit had blown up, um, took, took a moment and just like, you know, listen to my music. Cause my question was like, dude, I've been doing this for like a bunch of years what am I missing? Like, I feel like there's just something that I'm not getting. Cause when I listen to my, like other people's music, like there's something like, it doesn't sound as exciting. It's a little bit flat. It's kind of dull. And I thought that, that I was just missing this one thing. And there is no single answer is basically what he said. And he's just like, dude, I've been making, this is what he said. He was like, I've been making music for 10 years now and I'm just starting to get half decent at it. He's basically like, there isn't one answer. There's hundreds of answers, maybe thousands of tiny little answers that if you start to kind of take all of these things, they add up into something special. And, and, and kind of like, I, I think that our brain, the human brain is very silly in that it likes to oversimplify, right? Most, most problems. And like, it's like, oh, like there must be one thing that I'm doing wrong. It's like, no, actually, like, there's probably hundreds of tiny little things. And like, that's what music production is to me. It's this attempt to gather all of these little tiny moves so that when you're presented with these little problems, you have more strategies and, and, and techniques in your toolkit to rely on. And, and that's, that's all it is, right? It's kind of just like lots of little moves. They slowly add up into something special. Some fantastic advice. And it's it's what you're saying there, the way you describe it, it's quite uh, like a computer science sort of background. It's like abstraction where you're you're removing the unnecessary information, then you're also you're breaking it down into these smaller, more manageable chunks and then sort of bringing it back together in, in this sort of compound effect. And I, I also really like what you said about the flexing the creative muscle and it echoes a conversation I had approximately this time last year, actually, with a band called The Safety Word. And about how showing up every day and not waiting for inspiration to strike, but rather than just sit in front of your DAW, your, your keyboard, your guitar, whatever it may be, and just start to, to, to play something. Or like you said, there are many tools like Scalar, for example, that will generate a chord progression for you rather than waiting for inspiration to strike. And it's something that I started at the beginning of this year. Because I've I, unfortunately I fell into that category a lot of the time where I'd be like, oh, I'm not inspired. Um, but I think that was just me being lazy and procrastinating <laughs> and trying to do other things. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, all of that is fantastic advice. Specifically, like the create the, the and also the um, I was going to say the, the flexing the creative muscle and the 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 quantity equals quality. If I got that around the right way, which I really like as well, and how just putting the time in putting the time in and closing that gap. So many, so many really good nuggets of information there yeah. for our audience to take away. Yeah. That, uh, the last, last thing I'll say is just like what you mentioned about, <clears throat> about like all these tools out there, right? Like, like scalar too is a great, great plugin to maybe generate a chord progression or melody from you. I think it's actually really cool 
to see what's on the other side of only relying on yourself, right? Because if you sit down every single time and have to generate ideas strictly from your own head, the only thing that you can create is based on your learnings, your environment, your experiences as a human, right? That's all you have to access. And that might be a lot. And you, you know, you can also learn more and always add to that. But if you're now accessing like all these algorithms or tools that can create ideas for you, you've just exponentially created a better like producer than who you were a second ago. And I feel like you're still relying on your taste, right? To, to determine what's dope and what's not. And I think like when I'm given ideas, maybe by an AI or by samples or something like that, I still get to tweak them, manipulate them, make them my own. Um, but I get really excited when I stop relying like solely on myself uh, to create because like it, it's just it's just to me it's like you're co you're collaborating with like such powerful tools um, and there's you know there there can be sometimes like a little bit of a negative uh, connotation to doing these types of things but it's fair game it's part of the game and for anyone who uh, thinks it isn't I suggest they read um, the book uh, Steal Like an Artist um, it's it's a really, it's a, I'm blanking on, uh, on, on the writer right now, but, um, it's one of my favorite books and it's very visual and it basically talks about how like everything in life is a remix and every idea is borrowed. Um, so one, one of my favorite books. Yeah. 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 I've heard of that book and I do, I need to, I think I'm fairly certain it's on my Amazon, uh, wish list. <laughs> uh, Christmas is approaching. So, uh, yeah. my girlfriend doesn't listen to the podcast, but if she did, uh, there was a nod to that there. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I'll, uh, make her listen to this one in the car. Who knows? Um, but Sarah, this is fantastic advice. Absolutely love it. It's brilliant stuff. So I think we'll just sort of end it here by, um, where can our audience, uh, find you online and have you got any like key dates or any releases or um, yeah, I mean, up? honestly, we're we're always uh, always releasing cool stuff, always working on new projects. So I think the the best way to kind of connect with us is actually to just go to hyperbits.com. That's our that's our website. Um, if you go there, there's a free tab, and there's just so many resources that we've created. So workshops, sample packs, PDFs, past podcasts. YouTube videos, right? Just tons and tons of free content that we've really put a lot of like blood, sweat and tears into making our free stuff, you know, just really, really dope. And, uh, I would just go there and, and grab stuff that you think might be helpful. Um, and you know, from there you could opt into the email list and, and keep connected there. But, uh, if not, you could also just go grab a bunch of free stuff. And I think that's a great way to start. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. I will put links to everything that we've mentioned today in the episode notes. So the audience can go away. And, and do that. Um, who doesn't like a freebie? I know I do it all the time. I, I'm fairly confident the audience listening at the beginning of this episode, you've probably been in, introduced to some sort of freebie that I'm, I'm hand, handing out there. <laughs> so no, fantastic stuff there. It, it's, it's been brilliant. And um, thank you for getting up so early as well and joining <laughs> me on this today on a Sunday. Of all yeah, days. I sound like such a baby getting up. It's not even that early, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> no, excellent stuff. Cheers, buddy. I will, um, I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, Mark. Whoa, before you go, make sure to snag your free test master from Synth Music Mastering. Imagine enhancing your music with my steadfast dedication to quality and that personalized touch. And here's the kicker, it's absolutely free, no cost at all. Simply head over to synthmusicmastering.com or click the link in the episode description to claim your free test master.